This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, where Governor Ron DeSantis has the latest details on the coronavirus in Florida. The state is imposing new limits on who can visit nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and universities are telling their students to basically stay home and phone it in. A good day for the House Speaker. Jose Oliva's health care bills for pharmacists and advanced practice nursing have cleared both chambers and are headed for the governor. But even the Speaker can't win them all because Visit Florida will not be going out of business this year after all. A bill called the Clean Waterways Act clears the legislature. It's on its way to the governor as well. Backers of the bill say it's a game changer for Florida's environment. On the Sunrise interview, we talk with Representative Kristen Jacobs, sponsor of a bill to ban shark finning in Florida that's still awaiting final action in the legislature. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the latest from Florida Man, who blames his behavior on bad cocaine, which sort of sounds redundant. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 12th. Now that the CDC has declared the coronavirus has become a pandemic, the state is stepping up efforts to isolate the victims and protect the vulnerable. Governor Ron DeSantis says there are new limits on who can visit nursing homes and other facilities that care for the elderly. Uh, I've directed Director Moskowitz as the state coordinating officer uh, to temporarily prohibit visitation to nursing homes, assisted living facilities, adult family care homes, long-term care facilities, and adult group homes. And so these are the following individuals who are going to be temporarily prohibited from visiting these facilities. So any person infected with COVID-19 who has not had two consecutive negative test results separated by at least 24 hours, any person showing or presenting signs or symptoms of a respiratory infection, any person who has or may have been in close contact with a person infected with COVID-19 who has not tested negative uh, is prohibited from visiting a facility for 14 days from their interaction with the infected individual. Any person who's traveled internationally is prohibited from visiting for 14 days uh, subsequent to their return to the United States. Any person who traveled on a cruise ship is prohibited from visiting for 14 days from their return. Any person who has been in a community with confirmed community spread is prohibited from visiting for 14 days for uh, once they've exited that, that community that's been effective. And then any person who physically resides in a community with confirmed uh, community spread. So these are um, important efforts to mitigate the risk to our most vulnerable population uh, to COVID-19, which is our, our elderly population, and particularly those who have serious underlying uh, medical conditions. DeSantis says students at state universities are also being told to stay away from campus for a few weeks and phone it in to do their work by distance learning and computer. The state university system um, announced uh, our state universities would take uh, proactive steps to uh, mitigate uh, uh, the risks involved with our universities. And so you had um, universities where students were coming back, have been told, you know, wait another two weeks. And then folks who are going to be on spring break are told to, um, you know, to wait as well. So I think that those were prudent steps. Um, I think because you have the ability to do distance learning, uh, you know, they'll be able to, to do that and not miss, not miss a huge beat. And they're going to continue to monitoring the situation and then make the best decisions uh, that they can. And so I think that those were, those were prudent steps. The latest stats from the Department of Health, 28 positive results in Florida for coronavirus and two fatalities. 
The Florida Senate approves new health care legislation from the House Speaker's list of priorities for the 2020 session, settling one of the issues that's been holding up budget talks at the Capitol. One of those bills allows advanced practice nurse practitioners and physicians' assistants to provide care for patients without being under the direct supervision of a doctor. Senator Ben Albritton says this will make health care more available and hopefully more affordable. This bill is balanced. It has accountability. It has transparency. It's going to help patients and the medical system in this state for sure. This is largely how medicine is happening today. We're given credibility to the evolution of medicine that, is, that has gotten to this point today. The Senate also approved a bill giving pharmacists the authority to test and treat patients for a specific list of ailments, much to the dismay of Senator Gail Harrell. The bill is called the Practice of Pharmacy. I think this should be renamed the Practice of Medicine by Pharmacists. They are required to treat a patient. This is, the, this is what physicians do. They treat patients. You have a list here that says they can treat asthma, COPD, HIV, type 2 diabetes, and other conditions. I really have a major, major problem with pharmacists practicing medicine. I think this presents a real danger to patients. The first rule in medicine, members, is do no harm. And I am very concerned that we are really doing harm to patients when this is used inappropriately. But Senator Kevin Rader says you shouldn't have to go to a doctor when a pharmacist can handle the problem. Half of the state is in poverty and doesn't have access to health care. If we can give more access and more people get to see a health care professional, then it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. I don't see how we can point to people that we never, never even met and say, oh, God forbid, you're you know, a pharmacist to, to, uh, to look at some of these things. You know what? I would have to believe that if it's something beyond his scope or something beyond what he can do, he's going to say, listen, you got to go see a doctor immediately. you got to get to the emergency room. But if we can prevent, if we can help, 50, 60, 70, 80% of the people for access and they go see a pharmacist, I say let's do it. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this chamber. We're supposed to be helping people. After clearing the Senate, both bills went back to the House and were promptly approved. And now that the House Speaker's priorities have been taken care of, lawmakers are back at work on the budget. But even the Speaker can't always get what he wants. Oliva started the session saying it was time to abolish Visit Florida, the state tourism marketing agency. It was scheduled for termination at the end of June. But thanks in part to fear of coronavirus, the House has voted to extend the deadline for a few years, which is welcome news for Representative Jennifer Webb. This is an important driver of my local economy in Pinellas County. 80% of my businesses derive direct benefits from Visit Florida, and putting uh, extending Visit Florida in statute is wise policy. Thank you, sir. Representative Heather Fitzenhagen says Visit Florida has already demonstrated its value in times of crisis. I, too, would like to uh, say thank you to uh, Representative Ponder and everyone that participated in making sure that this occurred because in uh, southwest Florida, we have had a number of crises over the years, whether it be a hurricane or blue-green algae or red tide. And without uh, the, the strength of Visit Florida to be able to help us to recover from those crises, it would have had a major detrimental impact over a much longer term on our economy. Uh, and we want to keep it vibrant. And so this is a, a key measure. Thank you so very much. 
And now that the tourism trade is threatened by coronavirus, Representative Joe Geller says they'll be relying on Visit Florida more than ever. It will give us an opportunity in the future to figure out the right path to go. Um, in these very uncertain times, we surely need to look to our uh, mar tourism marketing to see how we're going to navigate this com coming crisis. But Representative Nate Newton says it's not just the coronavirus that makes Visit Florida a worthwhile investment. Visit Florida has, is a critical necessity for the state to let everybody know we're still open. Also, with all the catastrophes that we get, uh, Irma, Michael, uh, oil spills and everything else, we have got to be putting the message out and telling the story about Florida, let people know that we are open for business. This is a huge tourist state, and this is well. This organization is well needed. The final vote in the House to save Visit Florida was 114 to 2, and the bill will be headed for the governor as soon as the Senate signs off. After decades of environmental indifference by state government, the Florida House approves the Clean Waterways Act. Representative Bobby Payne says the bill sets new standards for septic systems, wastewater, stormwater, agriculture, biosolids, and includes many of the recommendations from the state's Blue-Green Algae Task Force. Those of you who know me know that I love water. I spend a lot of time in the water, whether I'm surfing, fishing, uh, swimming, or duck hunting. So I love being around the water. And uh, this bill is a vital link in creating the, a primary steps needed for water quality uh, improvement statewide. Um, but this bill reaches far beyond uh, these minor changes, far beyond a single step in water quality and discussions. It represents a comprehensive approach that touches measures, gives guidance, reforms, and critical mass uh, of the critical mass issues of nutrient loading that go into our water uh, each day and that create problems for our state. I'll say it lays the foundational framework to start the transition to continuous improvement that will guide essential changes in water quality and water quantity now and in future years. We've known for some time how abundant and uh, how necessary water is in the state. It's one of our leading reasons that people move to the state of Florida. And so these changes are the fundamental building blocks that will get us there. Representative Blaze Angolia says the Waterways Act is just the start, but he believes it's a watershed moment for the way Florida government deals with the environment. I do believe that this is going to be a piece of legislation that we are going to talk about um, decades from now as the as the starting point where we shifted gears and proved to people that we as a state uh, are prepared to take on these big environmental issues but also do it in a fiscally responsible manner. Make no mistake about it, this is a historic piece of legislation. For the first time in the history of the state of Florida, we will have comprehensive, science-based, statewide infrastructure to tackle a lot of these big environmental issues. The bill also requires a unanimous vote by the governing board of the local water management district to approve a permit to take water from a spring for bottled water. Next up on the Sunrise interview, we talk with a lawmaker who spearheaded the effort to ban the shark fin trade in Florida, and she did most of that from a hospital bed. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. It takes a special calling to be a nurse, but misguided laws are preventing qualified nurses from providing care. We can change that. Ask your legislator to expand scope of practice for nurses. Empower nurses to do the jobs they were trained to do. Paid for by Americans for Prosperity. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today in the interview is Representative Kristen Jacobs of Broward County. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. And of course, your claim to fame right now is the big shark bill. And I would, I would, I wanted to segue into the slowly, but I thought, what would a shark do? Now, nah, just stick your head in and go. It gives you a little bit of music as a warning first, and then mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So 
What's the status of your shark finning bill? And and well, first of all, when we start out, why did you file it? Is it really that big a problem in the Sunshine State? You know, it's a big problem globally. And for two years, um, I've been working on this issue. I brought the bill forward last year uh, following a conversation with a senator from Hawaii who had, uh, that state had passed the ban on imports, exports, and sales of shark fins. And it was particularly difficult for Hawaii because they have a large Asian population. So it's a cultural thing, not just an issue for the environment or the, o the health of our oceans. The fact that Hawaii was able to pass, it was quite amazing. And then of course that was followed by Texas, New Jersey, and California and others, 13 states total so far. And so I, being a little on the naive side, oh, this is a piece of cake. This, you know, who would be against outlawing that which is already illegal, outlawing the process of making a profit for it? Why, where does it make sense where the laws have been in effect for ages that say, both federally and um, within the state of Florida, it's illegal to slice the fins off of a shark and leave the body to die, or, you know, toss it overboard and leave it to drown. But it's not illegal to sell such gotten goods. I mean, that makes no sense. Why would we, why should that be a problem? Well, it was a two-year odyssey to learn all the ways in which people find that um, problematic and the ways in which we needed to be stepping through the process to understand all sides, not just the sides that had partisan issues and the labeling that goes on in the political process, but those that were uh, worried about jobs, those who feel like their jobs might be lost at the point uh, at the change in law, and those that are watching their jobs leave as we're watching 70 thousand sharks, I'm sorry, 70 million sharks a year die um, because of overfishing. And they're losing the opportunity to make a living, whether it's diving or, uh, you know, charter charters that go out, all the different ways in which sharks bring money into our state. So those jobs were important too. So hearing from all sides and trying to get to a bill that we could actually pass was a long, long process. And you still had to put an exemption in there for the, what, the 20, the two dozen permit holders in Florida who can still legally fish for sharks? So currently um, you have 22 fishers that are, that hold licenses to, um, to fish, to fin. Um, and the rules are very, very strict about the ways in which they do it. It can only happen in, Fl in Florida or federal waters. And what the, what the law says is they have to bring the shark to the shore and then whole, nat fins naturally attached. At that point, when they're cutting up the shark for harvesting, they can sell them separately because they've been legally brought to shore. So we know that the body was properly in the whole the shark was used properly. Um, shark finning is the process of only taking the fins, leaving the body into uh, overboard because you don't want to. They don't want to spend the money to ship that to the Asian markets. All that weight for what? They don't find the body valuable. Um, so in Florida, for whatever reason, over the last decade, from 07 to 17, is our, our data that came through from Florida Fish and Wildlife uh, Commission, basically showed that. Uh, fishers are getting themselves out of the business. In 07, you had 119 with licenses that were uh, going legally bringing in fins. Um, and today you only have 22. And commensurate with that, the dollars have dropped. So we're talking about a small amount of money earned by a small amount of fishers. And the reason why I felt comfortable with some of the amendments that we were making was that if you just followed it as a trend, you could see they were moving out of that business. Two thirds of the sharks already being caught by Florida fishers are not being used for their fins. They're being sold whole, whole fish. So the idea that we could stop it now or we might have to wait a little while, 
we often see good legislation not go anywhere. Why? Because most people who claim to be environmentalists want it all. They want it all and they want it now. And if they don't have it in this particular uh, bill, then they're going to be against it, my way or the highway. And we're seeing that not just, I guess it's unfair to label that to environmentalists because you're seeing it on all issues that we take up. If we don't get everything we want, then we're taking our ball and going home. And the nation feels increasingly that we don't know how to govern and we don't know how to solve big problems. To me, the way you do that is the way we did that with this bill, which is to understand that the global problem from which these fishermen are being caught up in in Florida, they're a small, small piece of the overall problem. The bigger problem is that which we're importing and exporting out of the state of Florida because we shut down all the other markets by the changes in law in those states. So it just kept moving over, moving over. So now it's in Miami's port. Uh, in other ports in the state of Florida, we have more, we've become the national hub for shark fin import and export. The way to shut that down is to say, you know what, you can't bring them in if you, because we're just a way stop on their way to China. So they're, they're coming in, they're legally moving them here because our laws allow it and then legally sending them somewhere else. So the only way to get a hold of this problem, a problem this big, in my opinion, is to it would have been lovely, don't get me wrong, to get it all at once and in ban import, export, and sale. But that's clearly not going to happen. And if we want to make a big change, we've got to start with one of the most significant steps, and that was to close down imports. If you bring in your ship from wherever and whatever ill-gotten goods are inside of it, um, we can't go on and see every single box, but we know if it's being imported into our country, that's illegal. So the majority of folks that are in the black market that could come in easily into our state because there was nothing precluding them from bringing them in, now they no longer can. When I first started here, it was, you know, the Democrats were in charge, the Republicans were the minority, but there was a different atmosphere. People were collegial. They actually hung out together across party lines. They had little, you know, they had events at Disneyland where, or Disney World where all of the parties would get together. What happened to that sense of collegiality, that sense that, you know, we, we may be different parties, but we all are part of the government and here for the people of Florida? I think you can go back and depending on which side of the aisle you're on, you can find a whole lot of folks that point to the place where it all started to, and it got it started to get worse. And, it, and obviously, from what we most people believe, it started in Washington and it's just trickled down. Um, and and I don't even want to go into presidential politics or why some people feel that it was different um, in the not too distant past. The point is. How does it change? Who is it responsible for changing it? Um, as we once heard a president say, we are who we've been waiting for. It's us. No one's going to change this dynamic other than us. So it starts with the members of a legislature, a state legislature that says, um, we're going to conduct ourselves differently and we're going to do that by example. So you know, little, there's been efforts along the way. One of the things I started, uh, in fact, the speaker alluded to it the other day on the floor, was the bipartisan, the annual bipartisan bike ride, which was just to put us all on bikes on the St. Mark's Trail and just let us ride along together, go have a beer at the end, have a van to drive us back so there was no controversy that somebody might drive, uh, ride their bike having drank a beer. But it was, it was a lovely outing. It was really fun. And doing more things like that, I think, as little as it sounds, it's communal. It's bringing us together. And those things are happening throughout the Capitol. They are just 
uh, I guess they're just pushed to the back because the larger fight is much more sexy to talk about. So when we're not getting along, when Democrats are locked down and the Republicans are locked down and we're at going, you know, head to head, people sometimes find that more interesting to report than the fact that we all you know, got along and actually did something, which is why I think this bill is, again, so significant. The opportunity for us all to come together to start from scratch and do a different uh, law than what we just passed, I think um, I don't ever see that happening. I see a study that's part of this bill that requires FWCC to come back and look at and study the issue and come back with recommendations should the ban go farther. Um, I think that's a really important next step and one that was in the bill and is part of what's going to happen. But in the end, we wouldn't be there if we had all insisted that we only did it one way. And that day, Everybody stood together and and um, I think applauded not just the bill. Uh, it wasn't just about the bill. It was about um, feeling good on the floor about the fact that we still know how to do things together. And there is a lot of collegiality. It's just not at the forefront as much as perhaps it used to be. It doesn't also seem to be at the upper levels. I mean, we have on any given session, there are probably eight people that seem to control 99% of what's going on. The speaker, the Senate president, the budget chairs, the rules chairs. Is there any way to you know mitigate that to say that maybe this should be more than just a few people making decisions for the state of Florida? Well, you're talking to a fan of all voters vote. And, you know, when I think about the ways in which uh, this state and and others look to the future to try to get back to that. Somehow it's gotten to be a very utopian view about how the world used to be. I don't I don't subscribe to to that. But I do think that more moderates pulled together to make decisions um, are more are going to be more successful in solving the big problems this country faces. Climate change is one of the largest destabilizing factors that this country is ever going to face. Um, and it's recognized as such by the, the US military. We are never going to get there if if we're acting on our own, we're never going to get there if we don't find a way to talk across these lines and break them down. And you see some communities have been able to do that and they're getting to success. What we don't really have the opportunity now is the districts for electing people are set in stone. Four out of five are safe. So you're not, you may change the faces, but the ideology required to run for those specific seats in the legislature require an extreme uh, one size side or the other. And when that pendulum swings like that, we don't find ourselves at a table making smart decisions. We make decisions based on the next election. And to me, the only way out of that is to because I know these people personally. I, we spend time, we talk to one another. They are frustrated too on both sides of the aisle at the way the system currently is and that they are not free to go express moderate ideologies that they feel pushed into the extreme all the time. They don't, neither side likes it. So when I think about how we get out of this conundrum, Obviously, it's to elect not different people or different parties so much or different parties so much as it is different people, people who come to the table with the attitude that we're here to solve problems and we're going to have to meet in the middle in order to get that done. And my way or the highway is just not going to be welcome uh, because we won't be able to get anything done. And we really, really need to start to figure out how to work together. And yet the system now seems to be geared to one extreme or the other. There is no safe space for moderates. Do you think just eliminating the primaries would, would make that different? Um, you know, I've been a moderate in a very democratic seat for a long time, and I've never felt like 
my reelection was at stake because of a certain vote. I have always uh, found when I go, and these are groups of diehard senior citizen Democrats forever. They're never going to change. Um, and when you sit and talk about what the other side wants, the first thing out of their mouth is a complaint that we're not listening to the other side. So here you have some folks from one party feeling so strongly, but also feeling equally strongly that it's stupid not to listen to the other side because we're not getting anything done. So I think people want it and are hoping like crazy for it. I don't think the optimism that um, I feel about that happening or coming to pass is uh, unique. I think that it is shared by a lot of folks that I work with, those who are supporting candidates that all inside would like the world to be a little bit different. And I think if we continue to emulate that, those of us that can and will, then you're going to see those that we will slowly change. But again, these changes just take time. They took a while to get the way they are today, and they're going to take a while to change. So you put in six years now in the legislature. Are you just about over it? <laughs> you know, my first year as a freshman was terrible. I, I'm i not kidding that I cried through so much of it. I would get not there in the building, but I would leave and I was just heartsick at how the world was controlled by so few and how I sat and literally in the very back farthest row and how was I going to make a difference? And I thought this was a colossal mistake. And uh, I honestly didn't think I'd, I'd uh, uh, get it through the second year of the first term. Um, but then I did. I managed to start to figure it out. And one of the things I thought to myself is I needed mentors. And, um, and I needed mentors on both sides of the aisle because I had to figure out a way to understand what they thought and why they thought. Not so I could change their mind, but so it could also help me figure out where the communication um, bridges were. And so that set me forth on an odyssey over the last six years in trying to figure that out on whatever issue I'm tackling, that there's a lot more hope and optimism. There's a lot more room to get stuff done if you're not, and I say this because it's the craziest thing, they just named this bill after me, but if you're not keen on having your name associated with something, it's amazing um, how many things that you can get done. And so I have found that um, and, and instead of like the, it running down or me losing excitement over the last six years, it's what we could do in the next two. I really feel like um, there is a corner that we're rounding and an understanding of people and what they want, and certainly a change in president or, or not, who knows what that's going to bring, um, will cast a, its, its own light on the next two years. But I'm really excited about what's next and hoping to be part of it. I always like to ask people in the studio, what's your hidden talent, that secret little skill that you have that no one knows about, or your secret superpower? What is Kristen Jacobs' secret superpower? I think it's really boring, but I think it's being nice. I think it's important. There's nothing boring about being nice. <laughs> it takes a um, lot of effort. I think that people aren't don't give enough grace. And I think... In time, no matter how upset you are at an issue, in time, when you look back at it, your perspective is so different. And when things are not going right, I think to myself, if this was five years from now, well, how would I view this? Like, stop long enough and think it through. Would you feel differently? Probably. So, especially if it's somebody who's... Um, I simply don't get their point of view. I, I don't share it. And I think, how am I going to find common ground with this person? But the very seeking of it leads to friendship and it leads to something that lasts, that transcends getting through arguments. It helps you have a, a foundation of trust. And once you have that trust, 
you can take something on. You have something to, now to celebrate and you can take on the next thing because you start to build a foundation. And so to me, it's it's being willing to um, to give grace and to be patient and kind of understand at the end of the day, as far as I think anyway, I think most people are really, really inherently good and they're all trying to do the right thing. We just don't all agree on what that exactly is. Our guest today has been Representative Kristen Jacobs of Broward County. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Your calendar of events starts with the State Senate, scheduled to hold a floor session at 10. The House does the same thing at 10.30. The governing board of the South Florida Water Management District meets at 9 in West Palm Beach. The Florida Supreme Court will release weekly opinions at 11. The Florida Board of Pharmacy holds a conference call at 11. The Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Hemp Advisory Council is holding a conference call at 4. And the Department of Transportation is holding an open house at 5.30 in Monticello to talk about a proposed extension of the Suncoast Parkway from Citrus County all the way to the Georgia border. And it's time once again for the adventures of Florida Man, often imitated but rarely duplicated. A Florida man wounded by an off-duty cop at a party in St. Cloud told police his actions were likely due to a bad batch of cocaine. 31-year-old John David Escobar is charged with possession of cocaine, aggravated assault, firing into a building, and attempted murder. Escobar was attending a party at an officer's home and was kicked out after getting into an argument. Witnesses say he returned with a gun, kicked in the front door, and fired a shot. The cop fired back, and when Escobar woke up, he said he didn't remember a thing, except that bad cocaine, which they happened to find when he was rushed to the hospital. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Music